what's wrong with the nursing situation in Canada anyway? Here we are with more registered nurses than ever before, yet many who are desperately ill are going without proper attention and hospitals are forced to turn patients away. Although this statement sounds like it could be something you would hear in a hospital today, would you believe it was written as part of a Maclean's Magazine article published in 1947? Needless to say, conversation about nursing shortages in Canada, how bad they are, what led to them, and how to fix it are not new topics. And over the past century, the conversations have sounded astonishingly similar. That same 1947 journalist asserted that present training methods are contributing to the shortage of nurses not by keeping prospects out of the schools, but by making nurses so disgusted with the hospitals that they are unwilling to continue. Again, doesn't this sound like something you could see in an article written today? We, Michelle and I, as past clinical instructors and students ourselves, and as practicing nurses and people who use the healthcare system, have lost track of the number of horror stories we've heard over the years from nurses and nursing students of their experiences in clinical placements. Part of the issue is the environments we're throwing nursing students into. And this is to say nothing of the sheer lack of clinical training spaces for nursing students. Although anecdotal in nature, we've also lost track of how many times we've seen large nursing schools in British Columbia struggle to find appropriate placements for students, or worse yet, students end up training on a unit where they aren't welcome. Other articles on nursing shortages across the decades point to other equally complex issues. What does it mean to, quote, be a nurse, and what counts as nursing work? In a 1967 article, also published in the Canadian magazine, Maclean's, the author boldly stated, we've got nurses. They just seem scarce because they're burdened with menial jobs, carrying bedpans, serving meals, making beds, when they should be free to do what they're trained for, nursing. This was written more than half a century ago, yet continues to ring true for nurses working today. In many workplaces, nurses end up fulfilling the role of catch-all, especially on those resource-strapped teams where ancillary roles such as unit clerks, medical office assistants, and care aides are limited. Nurses bathe, mobilize, feed, dress, and emotionally support patients. In many work sites, they also register patients, discharge patients, book community appointments, reorder supplies, help with staffing issues, and much more. A challenge arises, however, when we step back and look at units where the supposedly menial tasks are outsourced to unregulated employees working for barely more than minimum wage. If all of these humanizing and intimate tasks are delegated to someone whose job strictly it is to, quote, perform a task, what do we lose when the nursing role is peripheral to those daily, sometimes hourly, check-ins with patients? The result, unfortunately, is that the quality of our care and the likelihood of early intervention is diminished. Nursing shortages might, in part, be caused by the inclusion of non-nursing tasks as part of our day-to-day -day roles, but likewise, healthcare disciplines that use a business model that relies on billable hours and capitalist values may also be misaligned with a person-centered, family-centered, holistic approach. Another challenge? The fine line nurses walk between being perceived in the public and political arenas as either angelic, altruistic saints for whom their work is a calling and therefore requests for additional funding, training, and workplace benefits may appear selfish, or the hardened, union-focused nurse who will walk out on patients for whom the role is nothing more than a paycheck, and therefore requests for additional funding, training, and workplace benefits may seem callous. Nurses are the most populous and one of the most trusted professions in Canada, year after year, 
yet the needs of our profession seem out of grasp for decade after decade. In another Maclean's article, published in 1989 this time, the author wrote that nurses leave the profession because they are, quote, disgusted, upset, or cannot hack it. The message is that we suck it up and take it. Are we expected as nurses to, quote, hack it in disgusting and upsetting circumstances? And might this undercurrent be part of why nurses burn out, too often feeling alone, isolated, and shamed for what are very human responses to inhumane working conditions? This is to say nothing of the myriad other factors that impact nurses' work, things that have been written about again and again in the face of nursing shortages over the past 70 years. Nurses work in hierarchical systems that continue to place physicians at the top, accommodate their practices and paradigms, and within an illness-focused, pathologizing biomedical system, nurses feel the moral distress of being asked to do more with less, stand under pressure to show up and be successful in a range of roles across some of the most grueling human experiences, from war to pandemics to caring for aging populations, all within a system whose ethics and funding have struggled to keep pace. In today's episode, we're going to discuss these themes and some of our experiences working as nurses over our collective two-plus decades as nurses. One last note before we get into today's episode, we wanted to note that we had a very small guest in the form of Claire's baby, who was particularly chatty this morning. Um, and so you might hear her in the background, and we hope that her coos and giggles will uh, make you smile. Thank you. Hi, Michelle. So thanks so much for being with us this week. I'm really looking forward to our conversation about nursing shortages and kind of how it showed up in both of our careers. Just to get us started, the first question is, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word nursing shortage? And is this something you hear about a lot? Shortages of nursing is something that I've heard about a lot throughout my career. I graduated in 2008. And when I started working in nursing, I started in Vancouver at the University of British Columbia Hospital in inpatient mental health. And it's been an ongoing thing. There was short staffing in mental health, the clinical area that I worked in throughout my career. I remember some of the first shifts that I started working as a, as a new graduate nurse, I would be the most senior person on staff sometimes or the only full-time or regular staff on shift because there was an ongoing issue with being able to staff those units and to staff mental health in general and the nursing shortage as far as what I hear from the union and issues particularly in British Columbia it's been an ongoing thing and that's since 2008 so it's kind of it's relatively recent but not that recent if that makes sense, because I've been a nurse for 14 years, and it's been an ongoing thing throughout my career. And I heard about nursing shortages even before I was a nurse, because my mother is a nurse. She was an LPN, and we were living in Calgary in the early 90s. So in 1990, we moved to Calgary, which is in Alberta. And at that time, there was a huge nursing shortage. There was strikes. There was a lot of changes in the government as far as spending and healthcare on nursing. So nursing shortages have been an ongoing thing throughout my life and throughout my career. How about you, Claire? Yeah, similar. I remember hearing about nursing shortages from early in nursing school, but it's also interesting because I feel like there's this been, there's been this like almost opposite narratives that have 
followed me through my career where sometimes you hear about nursing shortages and then other times you hear about um, like hiring freezes and that it's so hard to get work and neither of them really seem to ever amount to anything like <laughs> I remember when I was at the end of nursing school the faculty were coaching us on the fact that they had never seen the hiring be so limited but then we all got jobs and then I hear about nursing shortages and of course it is like that definitely it comes up even in my work now we post nursing positions it's really hard to find specially trained nurses I find mm -hmm. Um, like there aren't a lot of nurses with experience in child and youth mental health. And so then, yeah, that's, I'd say where I most directly um, experienced the nursing shortage is looking for nurses with specialty training. I, I agree. It's kind of like this co more complex issue where as nurses, we hear about the nursing shortage as nurses working, we feel that there is a shortage of nursing staff, but at times the healthcare organizations put on hiring freezes because there's no funding to hire more nurses or there's a lack of full-time availability of positions, which is interesting and more related to the business and operational side of things than the actual need for adequate care. Yeah. And I think that's part of it is this like, what working environments are we creating for nurses? Because there is a shortage, but as we'll talk about, the reasons for the shortage are so complex. And so when nursing work can feel tentative kind of, or like in my career alone, which has been just over 10 years, the pendulum has swung from freeze to shortage to freeze to shortage. Like it's, it's no coincidence that we're here. It almost seems like talking about a nursing shortage is just a thing that we do but there's not been a lot of effort that I've seen in my time, like, you know, organized effort to look at how we're training nurses to meet where there are gaps in the health authority or to look at working environments to see, like, I remember when I was working inpatient, we'd often work short staff, but then it was also like, because of the nursing union rules, people would come in and work tons of overtime and come in on their days off because they would get paid so much money and then call in sick for the days that they were scheduled. So then we'd work short. And it was just this system that I kind of thought, we're never going to get out of this unless something changes drastically. This isn't just about hiring more nurses and adding mm -hmm. them to a broken system. Yeah, I agree. This, the structure is problematic in some ways because there's so much emphasis as well on hiring to fulfill a need in the hospital system and particularly in the acute care areas. Throughout my career, since I've started my career in 2008, there's been a steady erosion of jobs in community. So community mental health teams, community health clinics, community health centers have had an erosion of jobs, but then there's a real reluctance to kind of bolster up those systems, especially given what we see right now, that a lot of people end up not having any supports in community, not having any primary care physicians or ways to get their healthcare needs met, not in a, an acute hospital setting, which puts a lot of pressure on the system in kind of the wrong place. Because as far as funding, it seems like it would be the most expensive place to spend money uh, to wait until people get to the emergency room and then put a lot of pressure on that system. And suddenly you need more emergency nurses and more medical and in-hospital nurses 
rather than spending the money and putting the resources out in the community to prevent those things. There wouldn't be so much pressure on the acute system if there was more supports out in the community. And if those specialty trained nurses did exist. So it's, I think that it is the structure of the system and the structure of how we do healthcare in Canada has to be looked at. Because I think as far as the ongoing issue with nursing shortages post-World War II, I don't think the structure of healthcare has really changed that much in the last 80 years, where the emphasis continues to be a lot on hospitals and acute care and having those as the area where the majority of nurses work. And at the same time, there's been a lot of erosion of part-time jobs and job flexibility that can really lead to a lack of work-life balance on the part of nurses. If there's the only choice that they have is to work either full-time, 12-hour shifts, where the system is reliant on them working overtime in addition to their full-time hours, or casual with no benefits, and there isn't that sense of stability in terms of scheduling and vacation days and paid sick time. There's a, really a lack of flexibility in the healthcare system overall that has contributed in many ways to an ongoing, a shortage of nurses working in the system, and I guess not a shortage of nurses of available to be hired into those positions. Yeah, that really reflects my personal experience as well, that I think that it's so tough to say, again, that idea that just like, oh, we need more money, we need to be able to hire more nurses, seems like an easy explanation, because then it's always like just out of reach. It's always someone else's fault that we can't do it, as mm-hmm. opposed to looking at, yeah, looking at what's the culture like on our units, and do is this a place where people want to work? And I think that's a, that's a huge factor, focusing on job satisfaction and our hospital units and services where nurses work, places that are good to work, or are they stressed out, toxic work environments where nurses feel anxiety when they show up to their shift and then they're they don't really want to work there necessarily, but they might continue working there because of financial need. When you think back to when you were a clinical instructor, a clinical nursing instructor, how did that impact your view on the nursing shortage in terms of, you know, seeing this issue from a different lens? I think one of the things that struck me as a clinical instructor was just how much pressure was put on the nursing students to perform and to figure out exactly where they wanted to work. And this divided world between students who were growing up in today's generation like they had some expectations reasonably so around having a career that they enjoyed and being treated well but then they were also still sharing terrible experiences from their clinical placements and some of them were still almost recovering from past clinical placements that had gone so poorly Mm -hmm. and so I think that it really struck me that for some of the students that I was with some of the strongest students that I taught my message to them was just like just get through this part, you know, that age old, like it gets better. And that would break my heart a bit. The students who were the most critically reflexive were sometimes the ones who struggled the most and were at risk of leaving the profession. Which is interesting. I think it's interesting the way that nurse education continues to be structured the same way for 
decades in which nurses go into these clinical placements and specific rotations in certain areas like medical and surgical, labor and delivery, mental health, largely inpatient, where it's known that there's so much shortages of staffing and nurses are not going to be their best. They like logically, they're not going to be as accepting or as enthusiastic to take on the role of a mentor and a teacher to these nursing students. And so sometimes nurses, nursing students do enter these stressed out healthcare environments that they probably weren't privy to before they went into nursing, unless there's somebody that goes to nursing after having a career as a unit clerk or in some sort of healthcare field before they go into nursing. And suddenly they're seeing the reality of the healthcare situation in Canada and the reality of nurses' lives, but also it's such a small snapshot. Like, I think we put a lot of emphasis on nurses having to work in an inpatient environment, and nursing students also aren't exposed to a lot of diversity of what's possible currently and what's possible for the future in terms of nursing careers. And I think that makes the idea of looking at nursing as more than working in a short-staffed, under-resourced inpatient environment, the totality or the whole of a nursing career, which is unfortunate. And it's wild that that messaging persists that like, oh, you need to start in the hospital. You need to start your training. <laughs> I'm realizing that when we, when I had her with me last time, we had a guest organizes better, but um, yeah, that it really strikes. It's funny. I need to have her be the, all right, we'll see how this goes. Yeah, that really strikes me that like in this uh, in this time of nursing shortages and needing people needing, you know, like warm bodies and seats, warm bums and seats on inpatient med surge units. So much of the messaging is like, oh, you need to do your first two years there. And I wonder how much of that is just informed by like they literally need nurses to do those roles like it almost it seems like that messaging has persisted about you need to like pay your dues and start there and part of me wonders looking back to that if those units were run differently if they were run with better work-life balance in mind would it be easier to staff them because as I think about it more and as we're having this conversation I'm realizing I've always said I would hate working med surge like there's no way I could ever do it and so much of it is because of how the units are run and because of the hierarchy, because the units that I witnessed as a nursing student were so toxic. Like it's not the nature of the work I always really loved and being able to be with people really across the life cycle. If you're on a med surge unit, like you get such a wide age range and such a wide um, range of medical diagnoses and needs and family dynamics and personalities and all the things, but it was the workplace culture of the med surge units that I worked on that turned me off and so again it's kind of like what are we doing which kind of leads to the next question do you think what strategies might help to alleviate the nursing shortage in your perspective I think it's a that's a complex question because I think what we're doing is currently is trying to think of strategies that are very short term and not thinking of it in the long term. So for example, in the province of British Columbia, there was an, an announcement made last week or the week before about hundreds of new seats being opened at the post-secondary institutions that train nurses in order to get more nurses into the system, which is great 
sort of, because having students at post-secondary institutions taking nursing courses doesn't necessarily mean that no, those nurses will end up working in healthcare. It doesn't necessarily mean that those nurses will end up to alleviate the short staffing in the places and the units that they need them in, in British Columbia right now. And that's not really a short-term fix because nursing school takes at the very least two years if you're doing an accelerated program in which you have a degree or some university credits before you start. And at the most four years, full-time study in order to get your nursing degree because the Bachelor of Nursing or the Bachelor of Psychiatric Nursing is the entry to practice level for nursing in the province of BC and most of the provinces and territories in Canada. Uh, So that's not really a short-term fix. I think that looking at workplace culture and ways to retain nurses would be a a good place to start and to look at destigmatizing places like medical, surgical, these high acuity areas, these areas with high acuity patients and where nurses traditionally, you know, might not have wanted to work there because the patients are so heavy and there's a lot of tasks and a lot of workload and kind of reconfiguring that and figuring out ways to not just include nurses in the conversation about alleviating nursing shortages, but to look at other healthcare regulated and non-regulated clinicians and staff to try to help alleviate these shortages and to try to make a better healthcare system overall. I don't think the solution is just train more nurses or just hire more nurses from other countries or just hire more nurses from other provinces, because that just creates a shortage in someplace else where it's not it's not our problem because now we have the nurses here. And those are strategies that we've already been using since post-World War II. So since the 1940s, we have been trying to recruit nurses and recruiting nurses from places like the UK and the United States and other provinces to try to alleviate these shortages. Obviously, it's not it's not a long-term solution. What are your thoughts, Claire? Yeah, I agree. I think that the it's such a there's so many complex factors that have contributed to us having a nursing shortage. And so the solutions will also need to be complex. And I really do think, as you've touched on, that it comes down to looking at workplace environment and culture for the places that that are existing, looking at units where there's a lot of turnover um, and units where there's not a lot of turnover and learning from that. And then also, which I'll be curious, I, I actually don't know much about how much partnership there is between nursing schools and the health authorities to figure out where are the largest gaps, like where are, because again, what I see directly is child and youth mental health and substance use services, and there's no training on that in nursing schools that I know of. It's really a specialty that nurses have to kind of build for themselves. And so I wonder if there would be opportunities to, for the nursing schools to be a bit more responsive and just having a bit more, like maybe opportunity to specialize within nursing school so that nursing mm-hmm. students can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. And then there's um, a bit more of a fit for when they finish school, they know their training in a specific, mm-hmm. obviously they need to be generalists. I think there's a lot of benefit to nurses having um, very generalist training but then having, having it be a bit more appealing than that messaging that nursing is happening at the bedside on med surge units. I think that does a disservice to the profession. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that you mentioned that because I, 
in my PhD research on Riverview Hospital and the changes that happened for psychiatric nurses as the large mental health institutions were closing, the government did, well, the association and the union at the time did advocate for the government to direct funds to train those nurses for different jobs and to train them so that they could work in the community and places where mental health services were needed. That's an interesting solution or an interesting strategy that would be really beneficial, I think, right now to not just open up seats for new undergraduate or, you know, the, that first level of entry to practice for nurses, but to put funds towards training nurses in specialty areas and areas where more training is required in order to work, like occupational health, um, high acuity, labor and delivery, community mental health, adolescent mental health, pediatrics, OR, to, to have this money available to train those specialty nurses. Because I, I also don't know if there is a study or if there is statistics on which areas in particular are the most in need or the most short-staffed, there probably is. I, I think there's also value in thinking about how not nurses and other types of clinicians can also help support the healthcare system and health and wellness in terms of, you know, not just relying on a hospital system to help people be healthy. Yeah, I really love your idea of not just talking to nurses about how to address this, this issue. And I wonder, like, it seems like it would be such private data within the health authority to know which units are the most short staffed, but that would be helpful information. Like I would love when I'm looking for a, like in future, if I was ever looking for a job or in the past when I've been looking for a job, I would love to know what the turnover was like at a specific unit. Like I just picture it would be amazing to have an interactive dashboard for different units at different health authorities and look at, are they short staffed? Are, what is the turnover? But even just voicing that question, I think, oh, that feels like very private data. So there is maybe a bit of an attitude about these conversations within nursing that it's like something you don't speak of. Like you just speak of the, the nursing shortage on mass or like on a broad spectrum. Um, you don't drill down. And so, yeah, I'd be super curious to drill down and, and yeah, just have the opportunity to look at what, what is actually happening in real time. And I'm sure that people are doing that within the health authority. It's just not something that I'm privy to mm -hmm. at my level. I think something else that could maybe be a strategy as well is to, for those nurses who are burnt out and morally distressed and don't, their career might be done with working in a high acuity or a patient, direct patient care area to career plan with them and for HR departments and managers and directors and educators to, to work with them, to figure out a way to retain them within the healthcare system and be utilized as a nurse in a different type of healthcare role. Because I think there's, there's many areas that you can work in as a nurse that aren't at the patient, direct patient care level. And I would hazard a guess that some nurses, when they're early in their career, like one, two, three years in, um, which is where the most attrition happens, 
that they're thinking, you know, I wasn't successful at the bedside, this is too stressful, this is not for me, that they just leave because they don't realize that there's someplace else within healthcare that they can work as a nurse, and that their skills and all the time and effort that they put into getting their nursing degree can still be used, just not in a, you know, a traditional inpatient acute setting. For sure, opening up those questions and having more career coaching and career planning for nurses and normalizing that conversation would be huge. I remember early in my career talking a bit about my own career advancement and development. And I've had some managers that have been so supportive of that and like actively supporting me to try and move in the direction I want. And then I've had some managers who've almost taken that as a threat when I talk about, you know, going back to school to do further training. And I mean, this was years ago, earlier in my career, but it just, yeah, like, I think it's really too bad that nurses, the idea of nurses in a situation um, where they feel like they have to leave the profession because they no longer see a place for themselves in it. And yeah, like I would love another part of this conversation that we haven't really delved into, and maybe we could have a guest in the future who's a nurse practitioner Mm -hmm. would be looking at how, because I know probably about four or five years ago, I was thinking about becoming a nurse practitioner myself and was really looking into it. And one of the things that turned me away was just, and again, a lot of progress has been made in the last five years, but at the time there wasn't really a clear like billing structure for NPs necessarily. There wasn't really a clear place for NPs on teams and they were still having to, depending on the team, sometimes it worked great, but sometimes they were really having to be the forefront of this role, which is wild because it's been around for a while, but thinking about, yeah, like what I would love to work at or look at nurse run clinics and working as, yeah, just learning more about NPs and their perspective on the nursing shortage, I think would be really interesting. And I think also learning the perspective of licensed practical nurses and how their role can be included in the healthcare system as well. Because I feel like sometimes when we talk about nurse, we're largely thinking about registered nurses and nurse practitioners and registered psychiatric nurses, but often we're not thinking about licensed practical nurses, which are a huge part of the system as well. They fulfill a lot of roles in rural and remote and less urbanized areas. And then also thinking about ways to utilize other nursing like nurses aides and care aides and different types of different types of roles that help support nursing and help support patient care but aren't necessarily at the level of a registered nurse or a registered psychiatric nurse yeah i would love to be able to observe on a unit that has high turnover and a unit that has low turnover mm-hmm. like to do um just like a grounded ethnography or something like one of the um, just almost like a being like an anthropologist and just observing. And I'm sure someone's probably, again, someone's probably done that before. <laughs> we, we can look into it. But um, just to have that. Yeah. Like to have that kind of fly on the wall experience in both units um, about what is working and not, because even thinking about having the thinking about looking at the roles that support nurses, but broadening it even and thinking about what does it look like to work on a unit where each role really sees themselves as supporting each other. So Uh it's not, 
it's not every group carried supporting LPN, you know, like the hierarchy, mm-hmm. but it's looking at how can, and I've worked with some amazing, for example, physicians, some physicians I've worked with and they see nurses as their assistants. And I've worked mm-hmm. with some physicians who see nurses as their best allies. When, when I'm treated as an ally and a professional, it makes me want to do more. It makes me want to pick up the phone that much quicker to consult with the physician about something so that we can intervene early. And it's, I think it's all those little subtle details sometimes that leave me wanting to do more for my team as opposed Mm -hmm. to work environments where my professionalism and confidence and just comfort has been chipped away at and chipped away at. And then if there is an ask to do more or take on a new system or um, you know, start charting in a new way or whatever it is. If you're already feeling like your role has been minimized, it's hard to want to do more. Mm-hmm. Um, and what about just moving to the last question? Can you think of what are some actions or is there any action that you'll take personally um, around this topic or trying to alleviate the nursing shortage if that's not too big, too big of a question? That's a big question. I think right now something that I'm doing is in my PhD research, I'm looking at the history of Riverview Hospital, which is a mental health institution that existed in BC from the 20s until 2012, and the role that registered psychiatric nurses played in that institution and in mental health care and the healthcare system in British Columbia. And looking at like their psychiatric nurses, registered psychiatric nurses are still around, even though those institutions don't exist. And there were there was a critical shortage of those nurses and then suddenly a surplus. Um, And I think something that I'm hoping to do with my PhD research is to, to figure out like, what is the history? What happened? What's happened in the last century in terms of mental health nursing and psychiatric nurses, psychiatric nursing, and how, how has that changed over time such that registered psychiatric nurses persisted and how can they be utilized differently in order to alleviate or reconceptualize what it means to be a nurse and help the nursing shortage in British Columbia. I think part of that is also thinking about how nurses have been utilized across Canada because mobility hasn't been easy either. Part of my research is thinking about the role of registered psychiatric nurses and how they can be used the role of registered psychiatric nurses in terms of mental health potentially across Canada rather than having them segregated in just western Canada and then you know on a kind of micro level ways to alleviate the nursing shortage are I make a I like to make a real effort to reach out to new graduate nurses and other nurses that I know that maybe they are burnt out or wanting a a change in their career or a change in scenery, thinking about leaving the nursing profession, kind of talking with them and figuring out, is there someplace else that you can, that you can work and utilize your skills and your education and your experience as a nurse rather than leaving this profession and just being a, a mentor and trying to be a role model to other nurses and getting the, my voice out and in ways like this podcast to get the message out to the public about how important nurses are and that this is a great profession because I think a lot of the media messaging right now is that the healthcare system is terrible and everyone's overworked and 
every place is understaffed and you know there's mass death with covid and the opiate overdose crisis like what a terrible career to get into but it isn't i think nursing for me has been a wonderful career for the last 14 years and i've talked to lots of nurses in doing my phd research that were had 30 40 year careers as nurses and in healthcare and and they loved it so those messages aren't as publicly out there as some of the you know crisis ones that sell newspapers. Thoughts, Claire? Yeah, I agree. That's a big part of it for me is kind of on that micro level. um, Whenever I have the opportunity meeting with nursing students or teaching, guest lecturing, um, and talking about how much I love my career and how proud I am to be a nurse um, and really encouraging people to seek out roles that align with their values and so it does that they aren't going to work every day and having to you know park who they are at the door and then show up as someone else because I think that can really lead to burnout as well and so yeah just trying to engage as much as I can with nursing students and make myself available anytime whether it's colleagues or friends um, reaching out to say that they have someone who's interested in nursing Um, Or if nursing students reach out and say, hey, I'm really interested in the areas that you've worked in, really trying to make myself, um, yeah, available and sharing like realistic messages, but also positive messages and just speaking openly about how much I love my career, I think is one part of it for me. And then as you said, also things like this podcast or the short films we've made, trying to expand you know, do my little, little tiny part (laughs) to expand maybe even just one person thinking about nursing and the nursing role, allowing myself to be creative, even about my own career and role and seeing actively trying to see that um, as fluid so that it's not just this linear, like, start at the bedside, move to management, stay at middle management for my whole career. Like, I, I, I don't, um, See that as the only option in terms of the larger like more of the systems wide picture that's a bigger question that I feel like you, we can you can ask me <laughs> in five years it is a big question it's a super big question but I think yeah it's a it's a valuable question and I think at this point in our careers both of us I've been nursing for just over 10 years and you for 14 and so we are kind of at an interesting point in our careers to think what have we seen so far and where are we going? We're, you know, kind of in the middle, middle phase of our careers. And so I'll be curious to see how we continue to tackle this question. And I found it really um, eye-opening to read those different articles from the claims magazine across the years and think these themes aren't terribly new. Conversation about nursing shortages isn't new. And so in some ways I find that in some ways it's frustrating because you're like, okay, we're still talking about this, but in some ways it's comforting because it's like, okay, we don't need to solve this by tomorrow. How can we take some of the pressure off and give ourselves the space to think creatively as opposed to staying kind of stuck within bureaucratic channels and solutions and just recreating the same, you know, shortcomings and challenges that we've always had, which is why I love the idea of you looking at this as part of your PhD research is just like, really pausing and turning your mind to this and having the time and space and skills and resources to take a thoughtful look at this, I think is such a huge part of helping us generate creative solutions, as opposed to pushing decisions within the context of like, 
an hour long bureaucratic meeting where no one had the chance to prepare for the meeting. You're kind of going through a PowerPoint super quickly that someone's prepared and then expected to make a decision then and there that will have huge impacts. I think often we don't have time for exploration. We don't have time for the types of conversations that yield creative solutions. And so I love that you are, um, yeah, tackling this in a more kind of expansive way in your PhD research. Okay, great. We've come to the end of another episode of The Shift Change. Thank you for joining us. Awesome. Thanks so much. Nurses. The public loves us, wants more of us. The government repeatedly says they're going to train more of us, yet there never seems to be enough of us. In the context of the Lower Mainland, where we work, the cost of living is ever-increasing. Attracting strong candidates for nursing roles, from staff nurse to educator to manager and executive director, is a complex endeavor. We hope this month's episode got you thinking about what we know for sure, what we take for granted, and what narratives might be outdated and may no longer serve our profession, but we continue to perpetuate. Are we part of the problem or the solution? Maybe both. The factors that have resulted in nursing shortages are many and they are complex. Not surprisingly, then, the strategies to address this issue will need to be equally nuanced and layered. There is no quick fix, and we can't turn back the clock to romantic notions of a perfect time in nursing where all was good. Solutions like adding more nursing school seats or creating more permanent positions don't fix the inherent toxicity in some training environments, and they don't fix the morally distressed nurses in toxic workplaces. How will we keep students engaged? If we graduate more nurses, but know they access better pay and benefits outside of Canada, how do we get these future nurses to stay? Or if we're trying to attract nurses trained outside of Canada into a system we know is steeped in and founded on racism, and again, this is also not a new solution, but a strategy that we've been using since post-World War II, how do we actively adopt anti-racist policies and practices? As is so often the case, we don't have the answers, but we do hope that this dialogue today will create just one more ripple in the ocean that is our profession. Hundreds of thousands of nurses strong. 304,558 nurses in Canada, to be exact. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Shift Change podcast. If you like this episode or want to share any feedback with us, please visit our website at www.theshiftchangepodcast.ca. Our website has blog posts, behind-the-scenes photos, and links to our Instagram and Twitter accounts. We'd love to hear from you.